and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to you. And Joseph took an oath of the sons of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. But he said that God will surely visit you, And when God visits you, he will return you back to the promised land. When he returns you back to the promised land, then I want you to dig up my bones and take them back to the promised land with you. But God will surely visit you. At the time that Joseph uh, said these words to his brethren, the lot or the condition of of the children of Israel in Egypt was not all that terrifying or difficult. But the scripture goes on to tell us that in the years that would uh, were to come, they were in Egypt for about 400 years, in the years that were to come, uh, Pharaoh would come to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph, and he would see in the sons of Israel, the children of Israel, a workforce, and he would put them to a merciless kind of servitude in the land of Egypt. They would become slaves in the land of Egypt. And so... We uh, go from this portion in Genesis and the statement, God will surely visit you, and we move over now into the book of Exodus, and we come to chapter 1. What I'd like to say as we begin this morning to consider this portion of Scripture is that when God visits, when there is a visitation of the Almighty, Uh, Many times it could be missed. It appears as if it's impossible. It comes oftentimes within circumstances that someone would say, just based on the external circumstance, "This this is just impossible. This could not happen. And if it could happen, it certainly couldn't happen now. It It might happen under better circumstances or conditions, but under the current conditions, uh, this, this could not occur. This great visitation that Joseph was contemplating And he also was referencing the idea that when God visits you as he surely will, see, there was no doubt in Joseph's mind and heart. And he's going to return you back to to the land that was promised and given to you. And when he does that, I want you to take me with you. Now, all that's left of me that you can take will be my bones, but I want you to dig them up. And I want you to carry them back with you when you leave, because God will surely visit you and you will leave this place to return to your homeland. Now, in the first chapter of Exodus, we find the condition in a few words described of the (coughs) children of Israel in Egypt as they had been now reduced to great slavery. Chapter 1 and verse 13, And the Egyptians reduced the Israelites to, to severe slavery. They made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar, brick, and all kinds of work in the field. All their service was with harshness and severity. And then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, of whom one was named Sipra and the other Pua, when you act as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. And if it is a daughter, she shall live. This is what came to to happen to the children of Israel in Egypt. And you can just imagine the 
parents so desiring a son and looking forward with great anticipation under normal circumstances to the arrival of a son, but now under these harsh conditions, virtually praying that it would not be a son. Virtually asking God, Oh God, please do not send us a son. Send us a daughter instead. That she might live. Oh, that her son would not die. And don't think that none of the sons died because some of them did. Now the midwives did not obey this commandment. And so many of the sons were... Uh, delivered and escaped death because the midwives refused to obey and follow this command. And they gave an excuse as to why they did not kill the sons. Now, as time progressed, we find in verse 22 of the very same chapter, chapter 1, it says, Then Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the river Nile, but every daughter you shall allow to live. And so things become more crushing in their brutality now as the little baby boys who were born are now, when found, cast into the river Nile so that they might die and drown. But nevertheless, Joseph had prophesied and had said, God will surely visit you. Now, if you were back there living in that period of time and looking forward to God's visitation, I wonder what and how we would have thought about it and what ways would we have contemplated God's visitation. I I would suggest to you this morning that one of the things that we would uh, uh, have uh, maybe rejected is that God would have, God will deliver us through one of these little baby boys that is condemned to death. Uh, I would suggest to you that there were literally thousands upon thousands of baby boys at this time that were thrown alive into the River Nile to die there. It wasn't an idle threat. This is the reason that what we're about to read next is so remarkable and astounding, wonderful, as we contemplate the birth of Moses. He goes on to to describe in chapter 2 about Amram. He was a man of the house of Levi, and he married a a wife. Her name was Jochebed. She was also of the tribe of Levi. They were married, and and she had a son, a little baby boy. And oh, he was so beautiful. It says in the chapter, at least in verse number 2, she bore a son, and when she saw that he was exceedingly beautiful... She hid him for three months. Oh, just imagine the precious little person that he was and how beautiful he was in appearance. And she hid him in a secret place for three months. And when it was impossible now to continue to hide him for fear that he would be discovered, and when he would be discovered, his fate would be the same as the fate of many, perhaps thousands of others before him. When she could no longer hide him, and this is the part that I find so wonderful, God will surely visit you, but in the process of God's uh, visitation, it is so important to come to that place where we just turn over everything into his hands, into his custody, where we turn things over into the hands of the Lord. It's, uh, It's a matter of trusting in God's providence. 
And it's a matter of saying, I know the promise has been from God's word has come to us saying that he will visit us. And uh, now I'm the mother of this little baby boy and I have hidden him for three months. I've done everything that I can do to ensure his uh, life. Now, I can no longer guarantee that I can guard his life. So rather than me continuing to do the best that I can, knowing that it will not be good enough, I'm going to embark upon a pathway of faith and confidence and trust in God. I believe intuitively in my spirit, she would say to herself, her husband with her, that God has his hand upon this baby. And the safest place for this child is in God's custody and not in mine. And so what she did, she did something very scriptural, very, very biblical. She made an ark. <laughs> she made an ark. That's exactly what she did. She made an ark. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark or a basket. Now we've had this described as a basket, a basket, a basket, a basket. I would like to say to you this morning, maybe we should change our vocabulary and so that our vocabulary is more scriptural. This is an ark. Now what she did is she made him an ark, or a basket if you insist, made of bulrushes or a papyrus, making it watertight. She daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And then she put the child in it and laid it among the rushes by the brink of the river Nile. I have a note in my Bible that I feel I should read you, and I didn't bring my glasses, and the print is so small, so I must get back from it at arm's length. Please bear with me as I do this this morning. This is a note, uh, commentary by F.B. Meyer, and I think this is very appropriate comment, and so I will read this to the best of my ability for you this morning. It says, They launched the ark not on the Nile. I love his choice of words because he says, he uses the word ark. They launched the ark not on the Nile only, but on God's providence. He, that is God, would be captain, steersman, and convoy of the tiny bark. Miriam stood to watch. There was no fear of fatal consequences, only the quiet expectancy that God would do something worthy of himself. They reckoned on God's faithfulness. And they were amply rewarded when the daughter of their greatest foe became the babe's patroness. Aren't those remarkable and wonderful words? God will surely visit you is the operative phrase this morning. God will surely visit you. Who would have thought? Who would have dreamed? that God's visitation would take this particular direction. No one could have thought that. But it did. And it does. Because his ways do not change. And so we remember the story of how that the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the river Nile as she normally did to bathe and she had all her assistants and so on with her and they were patrolling the shoreline of the of the Nile and the daughter of the Pharaoh came down and she saw this little ark, this little ship floating upon the waters of the Nile. And now the daughter, or at least the sister of this 
of this baby is off somewhere and she's watching. But they don't realize that. It goes on to tell us in the second chapter of Exodus that Pharaoh's daughter, she took the child and the child began to cry. Her heart went out to the baby, of course, in great pity and compassion on this wonderful and beautiful baby boy. She knew it was a baby boy and she knew the condemnation upon baby boys, but her heart went out in great pity and love for this child. <clears throat> and about that time, around that period of time, uh, here comes uh, Miriam. And uh, she had stood some distance away, away to see what would happen to this little ark and its precious cargo. And she came and she said now to Pharaoh's daughter, um, shall I go and call a nurse of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? <laughs> isn't this, isn't this just, doesn't it get, it doesn't get any better than this. Isn't this remarkable and wonderful? Shall I go, saying now to the daughter of the Pharaoh, shall I go to uh, and find a Hebrew woman who would nurse the child for you on your behalf. Oh, that's a great idea. Please do that. Well, who better to get than his mother? So she go. now she goes and gets her mother, the mother of this child, to come and nurse this little baby boy. You talk about putting everything into God's hands, in his providence, Sam. But based, based, very biblical and very scriptural in the way in which she did this now, and how that God not only intervenes to save the life of the baby, she has placed him out upon the waters and God has turned around and brought him right back into her arms in an environment in which this is an impossibility God will surely visit you <clears throat> now I'm not going to spend a long time this morning uh, <laughs> perhaps to your surprise I do not want to spend a long time on this message I just feel it's important for us to look at clearly at the message, clearly at the idea. And then we'll just say, when we're finished, Lord, bless this to our hearts and to our lives. <clears throat> now Moses grew. He was educated, of course, uh, received the finest education that Egypt could provide because he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was a royal prince in all of Egypt. And so he received the education that was attendant to that position. And then as time pass, we know, passes, we know the circumstances where one day he went out to see his brethren of the Israelites and he saw someone abusing one of the Israelites. He intervened and, and, and killed this particular man and so on. And then it became necessary for Moses to flee and so he fled. And the scriptures tell us that <clears throat> when he fled, <clears throat> and the one thing I should say before I come to the idea of Moses uh, fleeing is I want to mention going back to the Pharaoh's daughter finding the little baby in this little ark that she, the scripture tells us that she called him Moses, she named him Moses and uh, she named him Moses because it means, the name Moses means uh, to be taken out of the water but I find this fascinating that we, we hear about Moses, Moses is considered even today among Jewish people as perhaps the greatest leader in the history of the nation of Israel, Moses, they'll say. You ask them who the greatest leader was, they'll say, <clears throat> Moses, Moses. And yet the very name Moses 
is applied by an Egyptian princess. And she named him Moses. And she called him and named him Moses because of the circumstances in which she, he came to her. He came to her out of the water. And so she called him Moses. And his name is Moses. And God would call him later Moses. I love that. God would call him Moses. The name that the Egyptian princess gave to him. Now there was a destiny when she took him from that little ark and she took him into her own arms and began to love him and care for him, returning him not unknowingly to the arms of his own mother to nurse him. There was a destiny for him. This is the part I want to look at. There was a destiny for him. God will surely visit you. And God would visit the nation of Israel through and by means of this particular baby. But there would be a long and difficult uh, winding path that he would take. Before he would ever come to the place where he would be God's instrument, he must leave. And he would leave for 40 years. And during that period of time of his departure from Egypt, <clears throat> he would go to the land of the Midianites. And he would live in Midian for about 40 years. And in the land of Midian, this is where, and you get the last map, Pat, that you have, the last one. If you would put that up for us this morning. Here we have down at the very bottom, which is difficult for some on the left to see, the land of the area of Midian. Okay, so it's down now in the area, perhaps the area of, of today, uh, Saudi Arabia. In any event, we'll come back to this uh, in just a moment. There would be a critical crisis moment in the land of Midian where of course uh, Mount Sinai was and Moses was very familiar with that land and with that entire territory and there would be a bush that one day Moses would be passing and that bush would be consumed with fire and let's read about this in the third uh, chapter of Exodus <clears throat> Moses married a wife in the land of Midian and one day in the land of Midian, when he was in the place of Oreb or Sinai, and Pat will show us the other uh, overhead. This is the part that I would like to point out, as you can see on the, uh, as you see on the overhead. This is the traditional route of the Exodus, and so you'll see the path coming from Egypt proper and uh, the traditional site of the crossing of the Red Sea. And uh, coming down, of course, to Mount Sinai. Now, it's very entirely possible, and I don't want to just get bogged down in controversy, but it's entire, entirely probable, even, I might say, based on very compelling evidence that the original site of Mount Sinai is not there, but rather over in what is now Saudi Arabia. Jabal el-Laz is the name of the mountain, and the archaeological evidence is exceedingly compelling that it is Jabal el Laws, that the crossing was not over where you see it, but over here in this, in this region here, the crossing of the sea, where God miraculously parted the waters. And uh, in any event, what I want to uh, ask you to think about with me this morning 
is this, uh, thank you Pat, is this portion of scripture in Exodus chapter 3. It says the angel of the Lord in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and yet was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight and why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, and this is a continuum or sequence of events that is exceedingly important, there is a manifestation of the presence of God to him. He turns aside to see this and to inquire into the manifestation of the presence of God that God has given to him. And when God saw that he turned aside to see, see that each of these is very important in the God will surely visit you. These are principles by which God uh, works and manifests himself and, and all of the visitations of God have similar kinds of principles built into them. When God saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, and here's the part, Moses, Moses. Now he calls him Moses and I have already described how he received this name Moses, not from his parents, but from the Pharaoh's daughter. God called him Moses. You've been taken out of the water. And God recognized this as an appropriate name. You have been taken out of the water. Now you've been taken out of the water, Moses, as a baby, but you've been taken out of the water to be my instrument, to deliver my people out of this bondage. And here you have come to the backside of the desert and here in this miraculous bush, that is burning and not being consumed, I am here to reveal myself to you the moment that you turn aside and give me your full attention and focus. I will speak to you. My messenger will address you from this bush. The conversation is uh, contained now in chapter 3. God reveals himself to Moses in a most remarkable and tremendous way and says that he has chosen Moses to go back into Egypt proper and to deliver the people. Let me re let's read a little bit of this. Let's uh, continue from chapter 3 and verse 5. God said, Do not come near, put your shoes off your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. Also he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and oppressors, for I know their sorrows and sufferings and trials. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand and power of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a land good and large, land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, Now behold, the cry of the Israelites has come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Oh, the providence of God. It's marvelous to behold. God will continue to speak to Moses now in the passages here we're reading. Verse 13, 
Moses said to God, Behold, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. They say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said, and the, the name here for God is Elohim. Elohim said to Moses, I am who I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. And he said, You shall say this to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And this is the Hebrew verb to be, Jehovah. Yahweh, we sometimes uh, it is pronounced, or Jehovah. But it really is derived from the Hebrew verb to be. And it, uh, it means absolute existence. It means the one who, who's, uh, who is self-existent. He is self-existing. The one whose existence is absolute. And so God reveals himself now to Moses in this moment in a way in which he has not revealed himself yet to the children of men. This is the very first time we find the name of Jehovah, God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the conversation, of course, continues, but what I would like to do is ask you to turn now with me over to Exodus chapter 7. And I want to read just a few verses and bring the entire message full circuit. We began with Joseph and Joseph's prophecy, God will surely visit you. And when he visits you, he will take you back to where you belong. He will return you to the land which is uh, promised to you. And when he does that, I want you to take what is left of my physical body with you back. My bones, take them with you back. True to his promise, as time, in the fullness of time, God visited his people, but he visited them in a way in which no one could have imagined. He always does it this way. The baby was put into this little ark. The ark was floated in the river Nile. Pharaoh's daughter came down and saw it and she took the little ark out and opened it and here's this little baby boy that begins to cry and she immediately falls in love with him. Takes him to be his own. Calls his own mother inadvertently to come and nurse him. Oh, the hand of God all the time. Now the hand of God is upon the the young man, Moses, and he is taken now and the hand of God is still upon him through the unfolding of circumstances that are very difficult to completely absorb and understand and he is taken now to a very remote location in the wilderness which he will visit and live in and uh, direct the people in the nation of Israel through in years to come and he is familiarized with the land and with the backside of the desert and with the region of Mount Sinai God reveals himself now in a miraculous way to him as, as he is uh, approaching 80 years of, uh, of age <laughs> and he is about now to take him back to the, fulfill the great commission that is upon his life. And so I'm reading now from Exodus chapter 7. Moses returns with his brother Aaron now to Egypt and confronts the Pharaoh and says God has sent me and God has given to Moses these miracles miraculous signs in his hand. He puts his hand inside his garment, takes it out, did his leprosy on it? He put his hand back in his garment and take it out and it's completely pure and clean again. It was a great sign. 
Another great sign that God has given is this rod. The rod is thrown down upon the ground. It turns into a serpent. And he reaches out and takes it by the tail and it becomes a staff or a rod again in his hand. And he is given these signs. He goes back now and has a confrontation and conversation with Pharaoh and demands and says, God has commanded, you let his people go. Now in verse 13 it tells us, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened and stubborn. And he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. And then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard and stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. I'm going to come now to a summation. But I find this astonishing. Just absolutely astonishing. Please don't miss this. God said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. He will be going out to the water, the river Nile. Wait for him by the river's brink or bank. (laughs) This is the same one whose mother, knowing that she could not guarantee his life, said, I'm going to trust God for his safety and be biblical and scriptural in my approach. I'm going to build an ark, a little resembling an ark. And she put him in there and she floated him on the waters of the river Nile. Now he's about 80 years of of age, very strong and and vigorous. And he has returned with God's mandate, God's authority in him and upon him. And God says, now tomorrow morning I want you to go down and I want you to meet with Pharaoh by the bank of the river Nile. His name is Moses. He was called Moses because he was taken out of that very river. And God says, I want you now to return to that very river 80 years later. And I want you to demand and require to Pharaoh that he let my people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning and he will be going out to the water and wait for him by the river's brink. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, heretofore you have not listened. Thus says the Lord, In this you shall know and recognize and understand that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod in my hand. I will smite with the rod in my hand the waters in the Nile River, and they shall be turned to blood. It is the same river and the same waters into which thousands of baby boys had been thrown to die. It is the same river, the same waters, in which... Moses was placed in this little ark as a baby to be rescued. It is the same water, the same river, has been the occasion for the deaths of thousands of little innocent Hebrew baby boys. And God says, I want you to take this rod that I have given you and raise it out over this water and the waters in the Nile will be turned to blood. Turned to blood. 
You see, the blood of those little innocent babies has been in that river for 100 years. More than 100 years. As those little babies were thrown, they died in that river. Their blood was shed in that river. And now as God's judgment and visitation comes upon Egypt, all the water in that river is turned to blood. And the fish die. And the waters in all of the rivers of Egypt are turned to blood. And the inhabitants of Egypt begin to dig holes in the ground to try to find water to drink. Because the water in all the rivers have been turned to blood. I won't go into all the detail this morning of God's visitation and judgment. But Joseph had said, God will surely visit you. And I want to say this morning, God will surely visit his people. And when God visits his people, it will be in an unusual way. It will not be in the way that any human being could envision or predict. It will involve, always will involve someone trusting and turning everything over into the hands of God and saying, I've done everything that I can do. I've done the best of my ability and it's insufficient, it's not enough. And now, Lord, I just take the most precious things to me in this world that you've permitted me to have and I turn them and trust them over to you. Here they are, Lord. But I'm biblical and scriptural, but I'm not reckless. I'm careful to build an ark. I remember, Lord, many hundreds of years earlier how that you saved your chosen people by means of an ark. The time of a great flood. And you sent your word that he should, Noah, that he should build an ark. And the ark was a place of safety and security. And Jesus even used it symbolically in his ministry. And so with these thoughts in mind, that precious mother, she fashioned what would resemble a little ark. Oh, there must be... A, what would be a safer place than a little ark? All those people, those eight souls were saved by an ark. And now I have this precious little soul. I'm sure God's hand is upon him. And I'm going to put him in this little ark. Well, it's, it's a tribute to the providence of God that he is so trustworthy. But when you see something that you don't understand, something like a bush that's burning that's not consumed, Please don't just walk on by. Please just don't get so busy that you have no time for it. Oh, well, that wasn't kind of neat. Let's just keep on going. Stop. Think about it. Consider it and say, why is that? Turn aside to see why it is the way it is. I sense God's presence in it. Turn aside to in investigate into, into that which you think God's presence is in it because you can't explain it otherwise. And when he sees you turn aside to look and so on, then he will begin to speak to you things that he has for you. And he has a purpose for you. You're not Moses. I'm not Moses. He won't guide and lead you exactly as he did Moses. But the principles will be the same. The principles will be the same. God, let me close this morning. God will surely visit you. The Lord bless you this morning.